All right, and we're live. Take two. Wow. Okay, what's First up, guys? Redo. John Sintes, First Cutter redo. Nation podcast. Um, had a major issue. Had to start off the whole stream. No big deal. But uh, anyway, let's pick this back up. Cass, I'll go ahead and throw it to you. Let's just get this thing rolling. Yeah, so I was. I think I was just saying that um, we're just going to try to figure out. So I'll, I'll just tell everybody the plan with this, and then we can just run with it. So the plan is to have um, – I just kind of want everybody, the audience, to know who the Wagners are kind of uh, from a baseball perspective. You guys can talk about things outside of baseball too. Happy to hear those stories as well. Um, but just kind of give a background. So then um, I, I want to get to – you know, I've never heard uh, anything from Luke and Cole's perspective. Um, so I know um, Kyle and Brett are, are, are great teachers and, and great coaches and – I know that they can talk and I know that John and I can talk. So I just, that's, that's really all I have going here. So um, let's assume that nobody, are we killing that last one, John? So that one won't yeah. exist. Yes. Okay. Correct. So just, just start over. Um, I was just saying that I, um, I know Kyle just from, I, I believe Instagram and then maybe some Twitter, but mainly Instagram uh, with green light hitting. Um, I actually had a client buy the book and give it to me. I don't know if I told you that, but um, <laughs> so it's saved, it's saved on one of my, computers um because it's i couldn't afford like 40 dollars or whatever the oh my gosh i was young anyway um so he was go eggs has was a huge part in in the way that i taught um you were probably like the beginning of me diving into this stuff um from a hitting side of things and then you led me to tewksbury um and then just like the rabbit hole began um so Anyway, I, let's Kyle. Let's start over. You kind of give a background of who the Wagners are, and then we'll just tell some stories. Yeah. So the the, the Wagners uh, have evolved into a somewhat of a complex uh, issue. It, there's there's Kyle and Brett, and uh, Kyle and Brett had a had a playing career, and then now we have a coaching career. And then my son Luke is a a senior. He lost his senior year, Redland High School in Pennsylvania. My nephew Cole is a junior. He lost his junior year. Uh, they are both Georgia commits. And um, I'm the only catcher. I'm a right-handed thrower. The rest of these three guys throw with their left hand. And we all share the same last name and the same passion for baseball. So I guess that's where we're at. So, you know, we're, we'll, we'll follow wherever you want to take us. Yeah. So, um, Luke, you, go right away because – Dude, you are baseball. It has to be a right huge part of you, and is your senior season. So, how are you doing with that, dude? Uh, it's all good. Um, it's getting better every day. When the news came out that the season was canceled, I was I was bummed out, but I had a feeling it was going to happen. So I didn't get my hopes up too much. But now I'm just preparing for the next step, whatever that is, and I'm excited for it. How, what did your, did your team do anything to kind of reconcile it all? Or, you know, what was that conversation? Like, I know that um, I coach at a D3 in Minnesota and the head coach having that conversation with his seniors, he's like, I've never had a harder conversation. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really talked that much. We kind of, right. Like, yeah. yeah. We haven't really done anything really. So. Yeah, that's tough. I, I think I think there was such a disappointment. We had we were we were scheduled to go to that national high school invitational. Um, I just 
I almost think that the letdown was was so so big for everyone that we sort of are all in exhale mode and just trying to figure out how we're supposed to behave. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think I, I don't know that most people know your story. Um, some select few do, but um, you guys want to take us back to Little League and kind of where all the magic began and where you wrote a freaking book about it. Brett, do yeah, you want to any, anybody? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, so, you know, when the boys were, oh, little, I mean, what, four and five, uh, I distinctly remember Kyle coming over to the living room and, and basically saying, hey, I, I, I think, I think we can do um, a facility. I think we can, I think we can kind of take this hitting idea that he had in his brain, and I think we can kind of create a, a system of sorts. Um, and and honestly, the name Go Wags, it was it was tough. We we debated for a long long time about what we should call it, and and uh, not many people were willing to put their name. On, on their business, and um, and Kyle believed in his product so much that that um, the name Go Wags. Many people don't know that the Go um, has to do with a really good buddy of ours. His name's Bob Dorinsky. Um, so Dorinsky in the Go, and he was the personal. He was a physical therapist and doctor um, who's incidentally dealing with with stage four cancer right now. Really young. He's just. It's a terrible, terrible story. Um, but Shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really tough. And he's got a, he's got a, a GoFundMe page out there, and we're we're all praying for him and hoping something for the best there. But um, yeah, so getting back, you know, the the Go Wags, we started that when the boys were real young, and it was really founded on on an idea of freedom. You know, there's so many, so many hitters are are paralyzed mentally. Young hitters are paralyzed mentally. You know, because of the cues that, that coaches give, you know, well-intentioned coaches and well-intentioned dads, they give cues that, you know, that seem harmless, you know, keep your eye on the ball and and, and all those things. But they, they create doubt and they create um, anxiety. And, and the whole go-wags principle and green light hitting was, was founded on, you know, freeing a young hitter up mentally so they could attack. And, um, and, Man, when we started implementing it, we really did see a ton of results just because the kids weren't afraid to fail. And and we would applaud failure, and, and if they swung and missed, we would applaud that. And, and um, you know, because one of Kyle's favorite things to say is a swing and miss is an unexpected event. You know, so if you have an unexpected event, yeah, you're going to – you might see a kid fall down in the batter's box. And we had that – we had that happen a lot. And um, – I, I can distinctly remember coaches looking at us like your kids in the batter's box laying down and you're applauding them. That's nuts. Um, but, but we saw results and we saw results really, really quickly. And, and the boys just continued to grow and continue to evolve in a fearless manner. And um, we had a whole team full of fearless hitters. And um, yeah, I mean, another principle that, that green light hitting is founded on is, we don't recognize a strike zone. We recognize a smash zone, you know. So we've never, we've never talked about balls and strikes with our hitters. We talk about if you can smash it, you can swing, you know. So they were never, they were never in the batter's box afraid of it being told make it, you know, make it be a strike, make it be a strike. 
So things like that, just little things where we tried to free them up mentally and just let them rip and, and take the fear away. And it, it seemed to pay dividends for us, for sure. Yeah. Long, and Cass and then, was re- referring to that 2015 team specifically, the Redland Little League team. That oh, was yeah. Sen- yeah. that was essentially that they were the Go Wags Patriots, and then they just put on a different uniform for Little League time. But that's that's essentially what that team was. Yep. Yeah. yeah so who's that? Yeah. I don't think people know. I mean, it, it was it was cool for a moment, but that's the funny thing about these things, right? People forget. Cool, yeah. You take it? yeah, well, yeah, sure. Um, so as we kind of mentioned already. Uh, What's up, Cookie? <laughs> uh, yeah, but 2015, um, my Little League team from Redland, um, we won the U.S. championship. And that, as we paid, these guys are talking, that was the, that was the go-wax team. You know, we played travel um, and Little League together for lots of years before that. So we were all close. Um, everyone trained to go as, uh, my dad was a coach, Uncle Kyle would come to practice. So, I mean, that was a go ax team that played. Um, and that kind of put green light hitting, um, on the map. So, so say, I guess people saw the results, um, and the results kind of speak for themselves. You know, they saw these 12 year olds that were crushing balls and not afraid of having a huge leg kick and swing as hard as they could. Um, but that's what makes Little League fun, you know. Uh, guys don't want to see ground balls and line drives up the middle. Um, and that's what we that's what we did. We made it fun. Do you remember, yeah. like, specifically how it felt and, like, the difference and being – like, how aware are you at that age looking around like, oh, wow, these people that we're playing against do not understand this. They don't get to have the fun that we get to have. Yeah, I mean, I think the fun part is the key, you know? Like, we we wanted to hit the ball as hard and as far as we could. Um, and I think when you're going into Little League, it's such a fast game. Like you've got guys throwing so hard. And I think an overpowering pitcher uh, can dominate a hitter. But for us, you know, we – went up there, we were swinging out of our shoes. Um, I don't think we ever ran into a pitcher that we were afraid of. Um, so I know when I, like, I'd throw against a lot of guys, and honestly, I'd look down there and it's kind of a nut shot. <laughs> um, and I think we never, I mean, we ran into some power pitchers, um, some guys that threw really hard and were really good. But I don't ever think that we thought that guy's better than us, you know, because whatever he was bringing, we were bringing it just as hard. So literally, is power um, on a smaller level. And I think we had more than any other team because we tried to have more. Uh, can I add something? Yeah, go for it. No. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say, when we were in Little League, we were not Little League, like travel ball, like under 12 view. We were really good as go wags. And like we could – we knew that the other hitters on the other teams weren't doing the same mentality as we were. Like, we were out of our shoes swinging as hard as we can, trying to blast balls. But then all of a Dog sudden, we'd run, we'd run into someone that does hit like us. And we're like, holy crap. And then probably like three months later, they're probably wearing a Go Wags uniform. <laughs> so, yeah, That's so hilarious. We picked up guys like 
guys along the way too that had our mentality but didn't know it and then i think they grew with us as well so what about the um the experience in the little league world series this is something that was uh, personally uh, interesting to me uh, as far as crowd size um you guys being such a young age what what was the biggest crowd you played in front of there 46,000 we, uh, 46. Yep. So what what was it before that? Like, what was it? Did did you happen to find out and have it grow? Because I kind of knew, you know, coming from a small D2 school, right? And we, it was mom and dad in the stands, you know, like that's what, 30, 30 parents on both sides, you know, were in the in the stands for some of the baseball games, you know, and then the most after that might have been like a conference tournament at like a thousand. Right. So I'm interested if if you started to be aware of this situation of like, wow, there's a lot of people watching this. Well, before Colt answers that, I just want to give you a, a dad's perspective. So I was an assistant coach. I actually coached third base on that team. And we would have um, dinner, you know, at, at Wingsport there in the cafeteria. And uh, the head coach, myself and the other assistant coach, um, we would literally look down the table at the cafeteria table. And the kids were just chowing down, like totally oblivious to everything that was going on. And we couldn't eat anything. Like we were, we were sick to our stomach. <laughs> no, yeah, we were going to be playing in front of forty thousand people. But they, you know, it's the blessing that they're that young because they really don't understand the magnitude of the situation. And I'll let Cole answer that then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a blessing that we don't realize it. Um, I know if I was playing in front of that many now, I'd probably handle it better than if that was the first time. Um, but it's nice to be able to get that exposure in front of that many people when you're too oblivious to realize that it's that many people. Um, it's different when all the eyeballs are on you, right? When you like look out at the stands and everybody's staring at you, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember the most nervous I was in the whole thing was playing catch before the first game. Because I was like, there's all these people watching me. But once, I mean, once we stepped on the field and once, like, once it was go time, it was just baseball. I mean, we were too young, I think, to realize, like, the magnitude of the situation. Um, we were just kind of playing baseball. And, um, yeah, so it was awesome that we broke the attendance record. I don't think we really realized um, how many people were there until you see pictures and you look around and you're like, people are sitting there. People aren't even meant to sit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, just the support we got from the community on the way home, parades, all sorts of stuff. So it was it was awesome. Luke, what about you? I are you talking about the little league thing? Yeah. Like, did you happen to notice? Did you did you happen to see the crowd size or anything, or were you affected by it? I missed it by a year. I wasn't on that. Oh, sorry, buddy. Sorry. Well, you watched it, right? <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah. I know one of you guys were. It's okay. But that, I find it interesting, you know, because you just you guys were were you know I, I had the same thing. I had like a weird like two thousand, ten thousand, sixty five thousand in like three days, where I was like, oh my god, like this is crazy, you know. And so like, there's a different feeling. There's a different you know, a stadium's a little bit different, obviously, than Williamsport, but there's just it's just different when you you know you literally can't. Look anywhere without seeing people you know and like you said you're playing catch down the line i remember that too i remember being like 500 people behind the catcher and i'm like oh my god if i sail this right now this is gonna be so bad you know yeah 
Absolutely. I didn't know that either, Luke. I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you guys were on the same team, so I didn't. I didn't help John there at all. They they were on the same 2014 team, and then oh, okay. yeah, then the 2015 Cole was 12 and Luke was 13. Yeah. Were so you, you um at the game, Luke? Oh yeah, I was at every single one. So yeah, I experienced it with them, but I just wasn't playing. So. Yeah, I don't. Luke was on the year that Monet. Luke was on the year that Monet Davis made her run. That was Luke. Oh really? Yeah. 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 So we actually lost to them because they were they were a Pennsylvania team, so they they kicked us out of the bracket that year. Yep. What were um, you gonna say, Luke? No, we just had our states was really competitive. We had Monet Davis out of Pittsburgh. We had Austin Hendrick, and then we had uh, Redland, and we. It was just a really tough tournament, and we lost. But yeah, it was it was a good tournament, though. But yeah, man. Yeah, I I truly believe whoever won between uh, Monet's team, Austin's team, and Redlands team was going to go to Williamsport. So yeah, that's what happened with our experience. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about pitching too. I know you got um, especially my my lefties. Um, do you have a moment that you felt like you realized, like, oh, okay, I'm a left-handed pitcher. Like, this is what I want to do. Any of you? Well, uh, for me, I'm still trying to find that moment. <laughs> 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 uh, I think we're both two-way players. Uh, I think down the road, Luke and – I mean, he thinks that his uh, future is as a pitcher. And I think mine kind of leads uh, – Towards a hitter, but I still love the pitch. You know, I still love to compete, and uh, I'm gonna do it as long as I can. Um, I've had arm problems for a while, so that's always been something that I've tried to tried to fight. Um, Can't do that. But, uh, yeah, so it's been kind of on and off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm gonna pitch as long as I can, and I'm gonna keep working. So I'm still trying to look for that moment where I know I'm a pitcher for it to happen. Great. Um, It'll come. Better, it, it'll come. It'll come. You'll be up there. Something will happen, and you'll go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. What about Dad? Yeah, you know, a funny story is, um, so my before all the lefties came into the Wagner family, the Wagners were a catching family, and my, uh, my dad was a catcher, my uncle was a catcher, my grandfather was a catcher, my great-uncle was a catcher, so we were really catchers before left-handed pitchers. And um, Kyle likes to tell the story that his first glove he ever got, I think he was like five or, or something, our, uh, our pack bought him a catcher's mitt. And he likes to say, that, you know, no, no kid ever looks forward to his first glove being a catcher's mitt. So um, I actually think our family was, it wasn't so much a pitcher throwing a catcher. It was, okay, he's our catcher. Now we need a pitcher to throw to him. And, and that's the, that's how that evolved. And when you get to know Kyle and I, you'll understand that Kyle's Kyle's the more type A. He's the coach at heart. Um, and a lot of the players that we played with together would always say that that I was the horse and Kyle was the jockey. So, um, and and that still holds true today. You know, like Kyle's the, Kyle's a coach at heart, and, and he's a motivator, and he he inspires, and I'm just kind of the guy that that does the dirty work behind the scenes. So that's, um, that's always been a good way to understand uh, Kyle and Brett 
he was the I was the horse and he was the jockey. We've had yep. some um, the some of the more fun debates we've recently had have, have involved Luke versus Brett. I mean, Cole talks about the the struggle he's had to to get healthy, but Luke and and Brett have have really had success as pitchers, and I, I know Brett wouldn't want to talk about it, but um, or maybe he would. I don't know, but. Uh, Brett was really successful left-handed pitcher. He had a mean streak on the mound. Um, my son, very similar. I, I love to watch Luke compete just the way Brett used to compete. And, and there's a healthy little debate about which one ultimately will be better. I, I, it's just it, it, it's led to some really fun conversations behind closed doors. But, you know, I, I'm not sure when Luke is, like, knew he was a, a pretty good pitcher, but I, I've been on the receiving end of all three, and it has been it has been a joy to catch these three and to watch and really watch them compete. I think that's the thing that I value the most is they just they they all three of them have a mean streak, and and I just love it. And and um, you know, so maybe Luke, you want to jump in like when you realize that you were a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, on the small field. I think everyone can be a pitcher. I mean, who just throws the hardest can pitch. So I think once we got to the bigger field, when you start to develop a change up my curveball, you're like, okay, I can do this. So I'd probably say eighth grade year, I think I knew I could be something pretty good on the mound. And then once my velocity went up and my pitches got sharper, I was like, all right, I'm probably going to end up doing this. So, yeah, I don't have a specific game or anything, but I just, over time, I knew that this is what was going to happen. Have you guys, have you been at full reps since the, has that just been a transition you guys stayed there? I I actually, I talked to, to Swanee today. Um, a tra- yeah, so in, oh, what was the year? I don't, two, 2016 maybe? So uh, there came a point when Luke and Cole were moving into high school and we, I tell, we just, we couldn't serve that many masters. So we had to, to transition from go eggs to full reps. And then full reps has, has really dedicated themselves to a, a pitching focus. And we, um, you know, we've, Brett's, Brett's pretty knowledgeable pitching guy. We trust Brett. So Brett's, Brett's done a lot of the pitching stuff outside of full reps and, and we get our hitting stuff. So we, we yeah, haven't yeah, yeah. really, we, we haven't really gone in there as much as you might think. Well, no, I just thought I had seen early on that you were doing pull downs with them and had a little driveline stuff. So I, I'm just curious of the influence and how you have, like you've tried to develop velocity this whole time, right? You've tried to do what's right. And I think, you know, for whatever it's worth, I think I'm realizing this more now, um, it's it's like your guys's journey and my journey, uh, and and obviously Kyle and Brett, your goes way longer than mine. But like the idea of these training facilities, you said 2009. It's basically when I was in college trying to figure out. Uh, I'm I'm 80 to 82 right now. I don't know why I can't be better than that. And then that just kept on. I started doing camps. Then I started learning things about the Texas baseball ranch, you know, so then I, I look back and so I was trained Texas baseball ranch, like, you know, my coach's version of that. Right. And then, and that just began this, you know, who is Paul Nyman? Who are all of these people? What's the 90 mile an hour club? So I was just curious, you know, whoever wants to say it, but like Luke, I'm curious, 
eighth grade, how much is that coinciding with your training? Is are you doing starting to do some of these things like weighted balls? Like what were you doing? freshman year we were deciding all right let's try to make a ramp up colleges are coming let's try to make uh, a statement basically so going into freshman year i started to drive line like a lot and then i think i gained three miles an hour four miles an hour i hit 88 in the summer and that's when i got my first offer so and then after that i never had a jump or uh, velocity with the driveline. So we kind of went away from it, went to a long toss program. And the long toss program got me to 90, 91. Well, I'd pop at 90, 91. So I got to jump there. And now once that went up, kind of just said, all right, that's good for now. Don't want to push it any further. Let's just focus on the pitches now. So I think we haven't really done anything crazy with driveline recently, Brett's put together some uh, uh, exercises for us to get the arm pass down and the hips going, but nothing like religiously right now with driveline or anything like that. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. Brett, do you want Sorry, to say some things? Yeah. Are you no, ready to go? Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Bro. Sorry. No, no. I just felt, I just felt like what he was saying. He wasn't ready to go. I was like, Are you ready to go right now or what? The, um, you know, the proliferation with the velocity. Like, if if you were to ask me why, I mean, there's there's so many people out there with with theories, but I really do think it's just people throwing more. You know, and uh, my good friend Randy Sullivan of the Florida Baseball Ranch. Um, he was on he yesterday. Oh, was he really? Yeah, so he said something to me um, a while back when we first met. He said, you know, pitching is the only thing where people think you get better by not doing it, you know, like resting. And I was like, well, yeah, like what else do you get better by not doing it, you know? And, and all we're doing is we're just conditioning arms to throw more, you know, and the more you throw, the better you get. So whatever, whatever – protocol you choose to call your own you know it's it's really just getting the arm conditioned to throw more uh and the more you can throw the better thrower you're going to be so you know there's there's lots of ways to do it but but ultimately that's what it comes down to is just training your arm to throw more so yeah, it's, it's exactly yeah. – yeah, I mean, you I, couldn't have I'm put our to, mission I'm statement out better. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, that, that's interesting that um, that you – of course, you fall in line with that. You've done a bunch of different programs. You've thrown yourself. Um, I'm interested in what your guys' velos, top velos are. Um, anybody want to jump there? Yeah. Um, I think this year if I played, I probably could have gotten uh, 92 – out of it, 93 maybe. We don't know. but And you're a junior, right? 16? Senior. senior. Senior? Oh, senior? Yeah. 17, 18? Yeah, 18. 18? Yeah. But uh, last summer I hit 91 with my pop. Did you, right did you do pull-downs? Like, do you try to get your pull-down velo? Pull-downs. Uh, so, sophomore year I stopped pull-downs because – I tweaked my back pretty good going into the summer, and I was like, 
that's not, I mean, I didn't really want to do that. But I think with cooldowns, I got 97. Yeah, 97. I mean, I think I could have jumped more if I continued to do that. I probably was doing it wrong, to be honest. <laughs> I was just trying to throw it as hard as I possibly could. But, um, yeah. I, 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 I find think... wrong at 97 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, Get out of your head, meat. <laughs> so I just stopped I think there's a um, he's a he's a two way guy. And so we were really sensitive to what we were asking of him to do um, because he would he would go out and play center field and then he would pitch. And there was a lot of a lot of wear and tear. And I, I just you know, we were we were always talking about, you know, we wanted to make sure that he was healthy for his high school season. And then, you know, he went and pitched in that. PDP, the, the, the development pipeline that they had last summer. And, and as a family, we've always talked about, you know, once upon a time when someone said, would say, how hard do you throw? You know, I know Brett used to answer hard enough. Like that was his answer. Like the feedback I'm getting is I'm just beating bats. And, and now everyone's so precise with how hard guys throw. And I honestly believe that velocity has to grow with your secondary pitches. And what I mean by that is if every 2-0 count, you just reach back for the old number one, then it's hard when you get into college and pro ball that you've never thrown a changeup in that 2-0 count. So I think we got to be really careful with spiking velocity and, and not having the other pitches grow with you because Oh no! Oh, they got a phone call. They got a phone call. Oh, we there? Jeez. Yeah, we there? Yeah, yeah. Go we, ahead. We oh, good? Great. Do we, we lose yep. you? Yep. No. No, no we're, we're good. good. I lost you. Oh, we got we a phone call. We lost you. Hold on, I'm gonna we kick him out and I'll jump back in. <laughs> that was good. It's gonna happen. It, it. So anyway, I, I'll I'll talk to you. Talk to you, Brett. Um. We, I, I loved what he was saying. That's right in line with what we're saying. Like, what, we think that the velocity range is actually the most important thing, right? Uh, obviously, you want to throw as fast as you possibly can, but a hitter being able to handle a differential of at least 20 miles an hour is detrimental to his timing to what he's doing and how much he's out front, right? So, the, oh. the greater the range, the more difficult you are as a pitcher. You know, we're, we're doing it right now with, Vance Worley, where he's adding, he's added a couple pitches to his his uh, arsenal. Like the, he's intentionally trying to throw a big slurve to add to help the depth yeah. of his two seam, his change up, and his other pitches. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, what the the if you ask good hitters, you ask good hitters what the hardest pitch to hit is. I mean, without question, most of them will say change up because it's a pitch that can't be trained. You know, mm -hmm. you can train. You can train quickness so you can get to the fastball. You can train spin so you can see the breaking ball. But I, I have no idea how a hitter goes about training to hit a good changeup. You know, so, so you can – velo, as important as it is, um, we've, always preached, we've always preached the importance of a good changeup. You know, so that's – you know, we, we, we try to do both. You know, let's, let's work on our velocity, but at the same time, let's make sure we have that, we have that pitch that's untrainable. You know, you guys, you guys took care of where we left off. 
<laughs> yeah, we, I was saying I, I agreed with what you were saying about the how, you know, fastball velocity should go up. But really, you're looking at the differential of all the pitches, right? Obviously, you can throw 92 to 93. That means that the spin rate on your curveball when you rip it probably is really high because you do have a fast hand and you know what you're doing. And then to what Brett was talking about with the changeup, being able to overlay those and really understand the mastery of literally, let's just talk about, don't let somebody hit the ball. Let's just call it yeah. exactly of what it is, right? As simple as, listen, I'm from Florida. I'm from Destin, grew up Braves fans of the 90s. And all I heard with John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox talk about, don't get hit. That was like the most <laughs> simple thing they could say. Just don't get hit. You don't get hit and you'll win the game, right? And so yeah. I learned it when I played um, you know, the Dominican guys used to say straight ball goes far. And I believe it because I've seen 101 turned on. I, I've just, I just don't yeah. believe, I don't believe in this one philosophy way of going. If you look at all the best pitchers, they're adding fifth, sixth and seventh pitches, but I think they're more like situational tools, like where I know that I can do something and Scherzer's added a split to what he's doing for no reason other than, Oh, when I face this particular left-hander, I know that he's never seen me throw a split because he has 300 at-bats, right? So throwing yeah. this weird thing against him goes like, whoa, what is this new spinning object that comes at him? Yeah, I was Luke was throwing a bullpen yesterday, and um, we he, he does a great job of, of um, putting himself in, in situations. So he's always – he wants to throw to batters. He wants to know what stadium he's pitching in. He wants to visualize it. And uh, he went like seven straight pitches and he didn't throw a fastball. And I said, Luke, let's, let's throw a fastball. He goes, that's just one of my tools. Like I don't have to throw it. Like we got, we got left-handers and, you know, so I, I think, and I think that's a credit to Brett. I, I think, you know, Brett, Brett, Brett was a first round draft pick because he threw very, very hard. But I think if you ask him, he'd say, I didn't make the major leagues because I didn't have a changeup as part of my package. So, you know, we're, we're trying to play what I call the long game here. We're trying to say, hey, let's make sure that everything grows appropriately so we got a chance to, to be the best we can be as a professional, too. I find it interesting too, um, thinking about what he just said or what you just said and what he's probably thinking about the offensive philosophy of what you guys have taught to them is directly affecting and how they do the opposite into the pitching philosophy. I We were watching a, um, I think it was the 91 or 92 World Series Brave or the NLCS Braves Pirates. And the Pirates pitcher was intentionally coming out throwing 75 mile an hour changeups first pitch to everybody and the Braves could not handle it just couldn't handle it right you got all Ron Gant David Justice all these and he's going change up change up at 75 and then 94 on the hands 94 on the hands right on to everybody and the Braves just seemed like it was this ridiculous combination but he did the same sequence the entire time through the game and so you know there's this belief that the fastball is the most well-located pitch when guys probably like both of your sons, when you go to rip a fastball like I do, sometimes you miss. Probably a changeup probably could be easier to locate because of body control and other things if you know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually think there's going to be a resurgence um, at some point in the in the guy who throws 88. You know, that 88 to 90 guy, I think, I think there's going to have to be a resurgence because, you know, hitters – if hitters consistently see the same velocity, you know, say that 90, 
93 to 97 mile per hour range. If they consistently see that, they're going to hit it. And at some point, pitching coaches are going to be like, well, we need we need to go below that threshold because we can't go above it. You know, that threshold is going to has its limit. So I really do think there's going to be a resurgence in that guy. I think it's just the cutter. I'm dead serious. Okay. Like, be, because yeah. so it's it's typically right, right there, 87, 88. Guys have no idea that it's a, uh, that's the whole thing with it, right? Um, I, we had Gene Larkin on and Kerry Leitenberg the other week. And like, and with all the classic stuff that we've been watching, um, they didn't, nobody even called it a cutter, right? <laughs> it was like, uh, Gene was like, the hardest pitch in the world to hit is a slider. And then I was watching, like they they were throwing cutters and just they didn't yeah. have a name. When, when did that name come about? I don't know. When did it come? That's a good question. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I thought it was like I didn't know what it was until Mariano, and I and I'm not yep. paying attention to that. And you know, anyway, um, I, I, the only reason I'm saying that is because I've thought about that with Vance because Vance came to us. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Vance Worley training with us, but he was like 87, 88, like struggling to hit 90 right away. And now he's like mid to upper nines because he's trying to, but like to be low, uh, to be upper uh, 80s, he was moving crappy. So it's like uh -huh. my, my challenge or like the, the devil's advocate in me goes, so how are we going to accomplish that, Brett? Are we going to be crappy movers on purpose? <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, what I'm referring to is I'm I'm referring to the BP fastball, like the art of throwing the batting practice fastball. Um, like that used to be a thing, that that was a pitch that you know, like when you throw enough batting practice to guys and you you throw the unintentional changeup that's literally three miles an hour slower, and it's off the end of the bat. Like, oh, sorry, I, I must have been an unintentional changeup. I'm getting guys off the end of the bat all the time. So that used to be a thing and, and I don't know I don't know if it'll it'll be stressed or but I, I think it'll come back, just the ability to throw the BP fastball. Well, and I think the name is what is what messes everybody up on it because it's really a straight change that's middle middle if you think about it, right? <laughs> right, and nobody's right, right, nobody's right. nobody's throwing straight change middle middles anymore. Everybody's throwing that barreling back foot, you know, hard breaker. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. like I, I, that's what I mean by literal tools and pitches like we we saw, um, you know, just looking back on it. Right. We saw guys throwing inside front door 12, six ha hammers, you know, in that same game. Right. Just a spot that's just not normal. Right. And they're throwing it at the guy's face, dropping it on the inside corner. And it's either strike on the black or ball inside. And the Braves are so such an aggressive, you know. You can see it anytime a fastball is thrown within the first three pitches, they're all over it, right? That's all they're hunting, right? So there's going to be games out there where you throw your fastball and then you get lit up in the exact same time. And then what do you do, right? Because eventually people don't care how hard you throw, even if you spot it. Like one of my worst home runs I've ever given up in my life was a beautiful backdoor, probably eight inch, you know, two seam to the home run king in Mexico and he hit it off the top of the batter's eye. And the only reason why it's funny to me because it sounded like a rocket ship going over my head. I could not believe how loud it was, you know, but that being said, like, you know, there, the, the variants and the things that like the tools that people aren't using, you know, um, Nolan Ryan's up and in, you know, it, people don't realize that this guy, that there was a school from like, who knows when it started, 
that if you got O2, you you dusted the you dusted the guy. You just did it every time. Didn't even matter how you got there. You could have blown two two away from him, right? And so I think the game of where it was before, of like to, to your comment about the variance is, and I saw it a lot when I was in Mexico, we would take out one guy to put in a new guy, but he's the same dude. This dude was throwing 90-94, and you brought in 90-94 with a split instead of a slider. It's the same guy. So to your point of the 88, the 88 should be in there. That's why Hendricks works, right? Hendricks comes out and goes, does his little thing, does this little sinker thing, and then they bring Pedro Strope and everybody behind him going, fuel, fuel, fuel. And now it is very hard to adjust either way on the speed range, right? It's either it's harder to go down and it's harder to go up for what you're trying to adjust to within the next hitter. I got it. It's little people. <laughs> and I know I shouldn't have used little, little smaller pitchers, smaller pitchers. That was terrible that I said little people. <laughs> smaller pitchers. <laughs> so, there yeah. it is. There it is. That's the that's the answer. Guys that are five five throwing rise balls. At 88. You know, if, if, you, if you just think of it from, like, if someone were to drop in, you know, on the earth and had no idea what baseball was, and they said, well, over here are guys with bats who are training to hit really guys who throw really, really hard. They're training to hit those guys that throw really, really hard. And then over here, we keep bringing in and drafting pitchers that throw really, really hard. So we're literally bringing those pitchers in so they can hit them. Well, why don't you just – Bring in guys that don't throw as hard. Like it's almost too logical. Yeah. Where you're like, well, that makes too much sense. So we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Well, I, Ma- Major I League Baseball doesn't is not. I don't know, man. The last the last what twelve months doesn't make me feel like they really understand what the heck they're trying to do over there. So. Yeah. But I do. I think I think we'll have a resurgence in that guy. However that manifests itself, I'm not sure, but. Well, I mean, I'm pretty – I think you're right about it because I'm pretty sure that dude, the lefty for Toronto that has like a 3,600 RPM uh, curveball that's like 32 inches, he's like 88. He's like 88, 89. And then he throws some like literally like 30-inch curveball that looks like a freaking balloon, but it accelerates down, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, look yeah. at El Duque. Okay, so- he did it too, you know? Like I, I totally agree. Like people are yeah, going to intentionally throw slower. I want to ask the sequencing thing. So this is John and I's idea, and I don't know if you guys have heard us talk about it, um, but Cole and Luke, this is your chance to, to flex. Okay, so I just heard, I, I just saw Steve Springer posted this, um, the quality at bats guy, um, like hunt speed. So it's probably the first person that I've heard say that. Uh, anyway, I've been like looking for people that are on this path. So John first introduced to me just fast, fast, slow, slow, like, pay attention to the pattern of fast and slow. Don't worry if it's a two seam, a four, like just worry about fast, slow. And then when we were running live at bats, giving that to high school hitters and college hitters alike, pro guys for that matter, it's just, they're like, oh my gosh, that simplifies everything so much for us, right? It's not so, you know, I think everybody wants to be like, hey, be ready for the fastball adjust to the off speed. Well, I don't understand why it's bad to guess like if you actually play the guessing game and you pay attention to John's point, how how would is how is a entire professional baseball team in a championship series not able to recognize that this dude was doing the same exact sequence the whole entire game? These things happen all the time, and it's like people don't have their eyes open for these simple patterns. And so what we've been um, I don't 
pushing it. I don't know how to even say, we've just been bringing up the idea and seeing if people have any feedback for it. And it's sometimes people don't even know how to have the conversation. So our idea is this, what if you just introduced pitching to the, 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 the brand new pitcher with three to four sequences? Okay. And at the beginning, it's literally, okay, you just, you teach them a BP fastball. Right, the the eight year old. Now you just have a slower version of it, or seven year old, wherever you're starting with them. But you teach them fast, fast, low, slow, fast or slow, slow, fast, fast, and just a fast, slow, fast, slow. And then the fourth one would be a slow, fast, slow, fast. And then that can grow. And as a hitter, now you can show your guys in practice. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna face these sequences against each other, and you're gonna know that it's coming. But you're gonna watch yourself not hit it. Cause it's still hard to see it, you know, if you have a good BP fastball, right? So it's like, I I've heard, um, yeah, you guys get the idea. What are your thoughts on it? And is that something you're doing anyway? I'll wait. Who, who wants, who wants? I'll take no, it. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, from a hitting perspective, I think so many guys, like, I know one thing that I had to get over Sitting on pitches, trusting myself. Um, like I would, I would sit, change up, and then I'd see that fastball and put a check swing on it. And now I'm out. Um, so I think, like, when I can commit um, to the pitch that I'm sitting on, that's where I become successful. And and I think I don't sit on particular pitches. I sit slower, hard. Um, so if I'm sitting on a changeup and he throws me a curveball, I'll still hit that too. Um, so I feel like one thing um, that I don't try and do is I'm not going to sit on a pitch that I know I can't hit. Anymore. So when I'm hitting off Luke, I know that if he throws me his curveball, I'm not going to hit. It. So I'm not going to look for it. I'm going to look for a fastball, and if he throws me a fastball, I'm going to try and hit it hard. But I'm not going to look for his curveball because if he throws that, I don't have a shot even if I know. It's fine. You know, so I think. As a hitter, it's knowing your strengths, and a pitcher is kind of doing the opposite. You know, like if Luke knows I'm throwing for a fast, sitting on a fastball, why would he ever throw me? You know, that's the like that's the tools in the tool belt thing. You know, that's knowing, um, getting in the mind and kind of the psychology of baseball that, you know, this guy's going to try and play to his strengths, and I'm going to try and play to mine. Yeah. So to add to the pitching thing. Oh, I is with really good hitters, I think about trying to get two strikes without showing one of my pitches. Because then they don't know, they haven't seen any that bad, they aren't comfortable with it. So if I go fastball in, fastball in, I have two options here. I get two pitches to get a guy out. I might go change up away, or I might bury one in the dirt with a curveball. And same with lefty, same with That's my approach. I don't really think slow, hard, slow, hard. I think of how can I get to two strikes without him seeing a pitch? And that's, that's what I do. So, so to, I was going to say to, to the point, right? The most common sequence that we see from everybody up until high school is fast, fast, slow, slow. Right. And that's what that's what you're doing. Right. And so you, you can create these probabilities of things to happen. Right. So, um, for example, I was six, four hundred seventy pounds and took G hacks in the on deck circle. And before I got into the box, what's the first pitch I saw a majority of the time? hammer right i sat slow i sat slow fast slow fast with the idea of understanding that he threw a curveball and he bounced it 
95% of the time he'd groove a fastball and I'd smoke it. Right. So if he threw a first pitch fastball, I would take, I would take, have an aggressive take, right. Still sitting on the curveball Cause I would probably get it second pitch. So once you understand, like he was saying hard, slow or fast, slow, then you can start seeing these combinations and building these extra things and these sequences ahead of time. So you present the idea to the guy, to the hitters throughout the game. I'm not, th- you're, you're throwing fast, fast, slow, slow to start the game to set up later where it's like, okay, I haven't seen this. Right. So the bigger picture idea is that when you face somebody like the guy that I faced that hit the bomb, you didn't know, but the entire season before that, when I faced this guy in relief appearances, I just threw bangers and sliders <clears throat> the whole time and he couldn't handle it. Right. And cause all I saw him was cheat fast, fast both times as a hitter. So it's a way to evaluate hitters on what their plan is. And then you can adjust on the fly on the fly as you need as a pitcher. Right. Obviously if you try to go fast, fast and you're two Oh, right. Like your, like your dad said, you throw two Oh fastballs, you're going to lose games. Right. So but, still being able to get to that. Well, this is what's interesting is this is counter to what we were just saying earlier. Because we said you said on the hitting side, this isn't about balls and strikes. You didn't teach balls and strikes. And now we're on the mound and we care about balls and strikes, and I don't get it. And that's what that's I think the statement that we're making is if you see the game in sequences and patterns, by the way, this is where I start going Jordan Peterson, because this is where it's like we experience life in patterns. Like you, that's, that's, that's being right. And so when you're in the game and you're going, dude, I don't care what the count is. This guy has patterns of fast and slow that if I take the count away, now I'm playing a game that is fearless. Like absolutely. Because that's the epitome of being fearless. I don't even know the count. I don't play for the count. I play for the sequences. So I think that's the, yeah, so this is this is how I'm I'll, I'll finish it with this. Of course, we want to get to two strikes. And the best way for me to get to two strikes is having a handful of sequences that I can throw at you with my eyes closed because it's so simple to me. Right. And so you just talked about a sequence, uh, Luke, that you gravitate towards in. You didn't just say fast, fast. Right. You said in, in. And that opens things up. Well, that alone that how many kids your age are going in in right people don't have the balls to do that so then i mean that alone you know this is where gene larkin would say listen if you freaking throw me a fastball at the knees a hundred times in a row none of my kids are gonna hit it it's like well okay do that and throw like four change-ups in the middle of that and it's 10 times more devastating right you know, and, no, and to John's point, nobody has that kind of command. So anyway, dads, jump in because this is come at me. Well, so what, I, what I'm fascinated in as the coach and the catcher is, you know, who, who calls the pitches, right? Like, so let's let's talk about that. You know, uh, pitching coaches develop patterns. So. What I'm telling hitters, Cole and Luke, is say, first of all, identify who's is there one person in charge of the pit selection, right? Is it is it the pitching coach? And if it's the pitching coach, they get into patterns too. And what what pitching coaches tend to do is they tend to throw the same statured right-handers the same way. They tend to throw the same statured left-handers the same way. So you're looking for patterns based on similar 
creatures, right, on your team. So, you know, if you're the two hitter, how does he throw the seven hitter? How does he throw guys like me and see if there's a pattern there? And and so Cole should be looking for how are they throwing the similar left-handers in my lineup and and see how that relates. Now, well, then what I believe should happen with pitch selection is is you it shouldn't be tasked to one person because if it's with one person, now you get predictable. But if it's the catcher and the pitching coach and the pitcher, now you have the tendency to break sequence and it's it's harder to diagnose. So there's another reason why as a as a coach, I always wanted the catcher and the coach involved and the pitcher has to have the right of, of refusal. He has to have the ability to say, I know what you want, but I'm not comfortable throwing that. So it's that dynamic, which I think can betray certain sequences and patterns, which, which start to pop up. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I'm, no, I'm just kidding. That's um, one of my, I do think if you follow me on Twitter, you know, one of the things that I'm constantly saying is truth is paradoxical. Like, um, and as it relates to pitching, the pitcher who doesn't care how he does, does better, you know? So those pitchers who are super logical and super rational and really, really care an awful lot. Those are the guys that I find fall into patterns because they're, rational logical beings um it's the pitcher who's a little bit off you know and if you've been in a bullpen enough you know that there's plenty of those guys who are who are just off right and and they don't fall into patterns because maybe they're not as rational um those are those those guys make really really good pitchers because paradoxically they don't care you know they're out there just doing their thing they're out there they're out there throwing, you know, and and those are the guys that that good hitters who try to find patterns. They they're just they this this guy drives me crazy. He's just out there doing his thing. Well, um, Brad, I I you, 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 you told me no, one time, you, you told me one time you said I stopped walking guys when I stopped caring about walking guys. Well, that's you told again, me that. it's paradoxical, absolutely. When I didn't yeah. care. Yeah. When I didn't care about walking guys, that's when I had much, much better command. I actually think a walk, I think a hit starts a rally way more than a walk. I think if you walk a guy, I think if you walk a guy, the bench is like, eh, okay, let us off the hook. But if they start hitting you, now that's when the thing starts rolling downhill and, and rallies start. So as a pitcher, I would much rather walk a guy with my best stuff, let the hitter think I bailed him out, than to give in throw pitches that they can hit, and then rally stuff. So, yeah, as a pitcher, I want to be that guy who just attacks, 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 be unpredictable with my best stuff, and let the chips fall in. That's, so that's, it, that's the mindset so, I want as a pitcher. I find it very interesting, like, the, how you say the unpredictableness, right? And, and like, the guys miss and the logical part. It makes – because it makes sense because that's what I saw. I saw that the – the, through my career, the guys that almost seem to be more random, un understanding what their version of random is, is way harder to hit, right? And so oh, that's where we came up with this idea of these sequences because there's, yeah. I think Cass and I counted out, there's 14 of, or 16 Cass, I think is what we said. So uh, if, combinations if you of four. Two pitches, it's two pitches. And if you have three sequences, there's eight different variations, and then four is 16. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so you guys uh, just kind of plot it out like it's a it's like a template of sorts. Yeah, it's well, kind of like the, it's probabilities in blackjack, Devorty, what happens in the counts and what you're looking for, right? We can, we can, we, it's the opposite of what he was saying about the pitcher's tendencies, right? If you know the offensive yeah. strategy, right, and what they're trying to do, and you can evaluate that in the game, then you can apply your best version of yourself against that strategy. What I, so what, is that something a pitching think, coach would sit down with the pitcher and kind of go over these? Like what? We're, we're talking about two different things, I think. Because John's talking about just establishing sequences in games and recognizing it. But I think you're talking about the, the three or four different ones. I'm talking about that as an introduction. So we talked, uh, I don't remember who exactly it was, but the point would be, oh, it was with Sam Peraza, the, the pitching coach at San Diego State. And we brought this up and it was, you know, it was, it was oversimplified. But the point is, is if you as a college coach have a kid that comes in with three pitches and he has... 16 sequences that he's mastered like with his eyes closed he's gonna go fastball in fastball in chain up away and then fastball in that's one of his favorite sequences and i don't care if he walks a guy or if he strikes the guy out in three pitches he's going to commit to that sequence and he had just brought up the fact that that would be very easy for me to build on right and so my point is is i don't think that i think one of the things that i find myself saying all the time is you guys introduced to me the idea that they don't have the cognitive ability at 12 years old to have any ability to create an abstraction, right? So that's why drills have to be implicit, right? Because me explaining this drill doesn't help them do the drill better more often than not. And so I'm saying it, kid, uh, our nine-year-olds don't have any problem knowing what fast, fast, slow, slow is. But t helping them understand that a fast, fast, slow, slow at the the first batter of the game is going to look different than a fast, fast, slow, slow with bases juiced in the fifth inning, right? Like that's, and that's where you coach. So I'm introducing it as an idea of like, why don't we just simplify this for everybody and teach a handful of sequences at the beginning? I don't care what they are, but let's make it three to four pitches because this, this you know, satisfies everybody. Right now we can get kids. Hey, if you're getting to five to six pitches every single at bat, you know, you got two options work on five to pitch six pitch sequences or execute your damn pitches in the first three to four uh, pitches. Right. And so um, why do we we don't actually need to practice these five, six, seven pitch sequences if we do a good job with the first three to four pitches? You have that written down somewhere I can. Like, is that something you talk uh, about? Uh, probably should. Probably should. I actually am thinking yeah. about uh, um, using um, old video footage of Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and how they put their sequences together um, differently through those. And then also, uh, you can actually do it in MLB The Show, and it works. It's hilarious. Um, uh, now, but it, wait, it's, so it's <laughs> okay. So with what? I call it, I, well. I've heard it. I've heard it called three dimensional pitching. Right. And being able to establish the different ranges of in and out, up and down and fast and slow. Right. And what is possible to do with a baseball when you throw it. Right. And so I think the personality to the player, I'm a cutter slider guy to death because it's so much fun. 
right? To use my fastball off that, right? It sounds like you being a fastball, fastball hammer, and he already said that you're a hammer guy. If you reverse engineer with those sequences, those strikeout pitches that you like, right? That that start from curveball down, which is probably what the way you like to embarrass guys as a pitcher, then you can realize that you can go backwards from that and tunnel off of that idea to get to it. So these specific pitches that we know, like back foot cutters or back foot sliders, back foot curveballs, right on right changeups, front door cutters, right? Back door two seams. There are ways to, to work on mastering where you're creating a difficulty of the the hitter to a delay his decision process. So he's not even sure what's going on. And we have nine. I, I like that. I, I, we, I mean, we have yeah, our, like have I literally that. give our nine year old, we have a 10 year old who it took like three or four sessions and he has, his homework is he goes and watches old MLB games and charts it in fast and slow. And then he goes on the show and he plays the show and uses the sequences and practices. So when I put him in a situation <laughs> and I go, Hey, runner on second and third, Luke, what's your first pitch one out? You just got brought in the game. What's your, what's your goal here? Go ahead. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You said you like yeah. situations, right? All right. So I'll go oh. like this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Left, left hand or right hand? Yeah, left hand or righty. Great, great first question, right? See, now your brain started going. Well, they brought you into the game. You're lefty. Obviously, you're going to face a lefty, right? More than likely. So lefty, one out, second and third. What's the first pitch you're throwing in that RBI situation? I'll get and that tells me everything about your personality. Live or die by your best pitch. You're probably going to need to go slow, slow, fast, fast, because you can pitch people backwards in that situation because you know if the ball gets put in play, you're probably going to give up a run, and we need a punchy right here, right? Yeah. Right? So, so the, having the catcher, these – It's funny. Yeah. The catcher in me, like you set that situation up. You know what the catcher in me wanted to do? Fast catcher ball. in me wanted to – no, the catcher in me wanted to look on deck to see if I can get a double play by putting that guy on. 100%, right? Situations change per pitch per batter, right? But yeah. wouldn't best case scenario to be to the situation where nothing happened and that would be a strikeout, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but I, all I heard growing up was that, that strikeouts are bad. They're fascist, this and that, right? But the problem is, is the pitchers who do the most in the game make the most money, period. You can't argue it, right? You look at these dudes who just punch dudes all the time, they make the most money. They don't throw the hardest, right? They may not have the nastiest stuff, but the dudes that punch people are the ones that go the longest in the game and keep going. And so when you bring in a guy in an RBI situation, what is your job? Your job is punchies. That's it. There's no other – if the ball gets put in play, run scores, you lose, right? Does that make sense? Yep. So the, those are the things that you can build, right? And, like, we look in the World Series and we're watching Strasburg, right? What was everybody talking about with Strasburg? Do you remember um, what they were talking about in, when he was throwing? Change-ups. Well, they were talking about change-ups, yeah. Exactly. He was change killing change-ups. But the problem was it wasn't just change-ups. What he was doing, to your point, was he was hitting a combination of curveball change-ups where after you throw a curveball as a hitter, what are you normally looking for? A fastball. And after a fastball, what looks like a fastball and is not a fastball, a change-up. Especially when you match spin when he's going two-seam red and two-seam change red. Huh. 
right? So there's a whole other dimension to how you're disguising the baseball coming towards the hitter. So if you can delay these decisions by hundredths of a second as it goes, then you can make anybody look bad, right? That's why the Astros were cheating because the only way you can hit Chapman's slider when it's three feet outside over the left field wall is if you know it's coming because you got to sit 104 and then you get 88. Yep. Good. I have a question, uh, Cole. You had said you can't hit a lefty curveball. And um, Doug Latta had talked about uh, – he had, he had video of Odor facing uh, Sale, and Odor's feet were facing shortstop. And yeah. Sale's throwing him a slider from right field. And Doug's <laughs> like, why doesn't he just face right field in his setup? Do you do you make adjustments like that to people like Cole or uh, Luke? Oh yeah, I mean, um, I think hitting is constant adjustment. It's about adjusting. I have a hard time finding any success. Um, like, I would you face? Would you face the first baseman in your stance if you knew Chris Sale was throwing you a slider to hit it? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm just stupid if I didn't. Have you? Have you done something ridiculous like that? Um, I'm trying to think what the most I've done. Um, I just think I of mean, like was, big poppy, big poppy, literally just stepping to right field, knowing that he's gonna get a yeah. a pitch in. Yeah, I mean, there's. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Cass. Um, I mean, I can't think of any instant. Uh, off the top of my head, and I in little league all the time. Like you're facing so many different types of pitchers. Um, like once you get to high school, it's a little more consistent uh, with the average pitcher you see. But like little league, when you've got guys throwing 78, which is the equivalent of like 100, to then you've got guys throwing like 60. Um, I would, I mean, I would cheat to it all the time. Uh, no stride versus huge leg lift, like things like that. Um, I got pitched away all the time, so I would jump on top of the plate and stride close because, you know, like, it was just Why like, not? it's like I'm talking about, like, those patterns, you know? Like, I know that guys aren't going to pitch me in because, one, they're afraid, and, two, if they do, I'll get four in the um, So I, I climb all over. <laughs> I dare you, right? I dare you to throw me inside? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my mindset <laughs> in the league. Um, I would take away the outside pitch, and I'd climb all over the plate. Thanks, Uncle Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Anticipate away, react in. Yeah. And that that's uh it's interesting because um you know the that that's one of those phrases like you were talking about about how it's a common offensive strategy, right? Where where when you look at if you can figure that out, um, I, we did a, a really cool thing this summer. I took five of our athletes to the NBC World Series, which is an amateur college tournament where there's kind of the B squad of summer leagues all get together and the champions play in a two-week tournament in Wichita. And it's kind of like a uh, conference tournament. It's a, I think it's probably the best idea to show a young guy what a real conference tournament is, where it's like, you know, you're in the hotel, you can't really do anything. It's every day. You got to stay focused. You got to, you know, not lose your mind. Um, and you know, the temptations that go along with it. Right. And I, and I showed them if, if you run into a team that the entire team has the same offensive strategy, right. 
the most common of that would be the ambush, in my opinion, right? You see it all the time, right? You're going to swing first and second pitch. So being able to recognize that as early as possible can really help you getting out of first, you know, get out of innings, right? And so I distinctly remember being in Kansas and facing this team from Alaska. And they like, of course, announced that they were the winner of the Alaska lead. And they even like gave them a trophy before the game. as like the owners did to the coaches, like tried to make it some kind of thing. And I remember like being on the mountain. And by the way, this is last year. So I'm 33 and I'm just immediately like disrespected and disgusted by these kids. And they had like eight lefties. And I distinctly remember being like eight lefties using bomb bats, college. No, they've never seen a cutter inside before. This is probably going to go well. So I first pitch of the game, I throw it at the guy, left-handed hitter. He rips it in the dugout and then like proceeds to exhale. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess until you prove me wrong, I'm just not going to throw strikes. So for the next three innings, I threw balls, nothing but balls. And these guys fouled it off, chased it. I bounced it. I did not throw one first pitch strike in the zone, right? And so – being able to process that as fast as possible. Is that something you guys have, have ever noticed before? Do you even look for it for these offensive tendencies to, to help you decide on what pitches you're going to throw? Yeah, so in uh, the PDT league last year, if you weren't playing, you were probably watching the other team or just relaxing. Do they know what that is, PDP? Do you guys know what PDP is? So uh, USA Baseball and MLB invited – like the top 80 guys in the 2020 class last year to go play in Florida, the IMG, and just compete to go uh, fight for the 40-man or the 20-man roster of Team USA to go to uh, South Korea. Korea. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm down there with the best of the best. And uh, when I'm not um, playing, I was watching the games and watching the players. And you could see some of the players were just like, all right, I'm the main you aren't going to throw me a strike, so I'm just going to wait. And then when I would pitch against them, they would think I would, like, bow down to them because they're like, I'm the dude, you're not going to throw me a strike. And then I'd do my thing. I'd go hard in, and they'd be like, oh, crap, okay. And then I'd get two strikes, and then they would go in panic mode, and then I'd throw one in the dirt, and then they'd swing. And so, yeah, you kind of just got to read people more often than not. That's all I do. I just read body language. I read, all right, I'm going to swing, or I don't think you're going to throw me a strike. Keep going. Yeah, I'm Keep going on how you I'm read it. Yeah. Yeah. Is this is this you? Yeah. Does, did he take that from you, Brett? Or he must have, because I don't know if we've ever had that conversation. But that's exactly how I would pitch too. I would, I'd read body language in the box. I'd read. Um, I don't know. You could just kind of get a feel for the, the aggressiveness of them or whether whether they, you know, take strike one. Um, I, I don't even know if I can put it into words as to what I would see or feel, but, man, that guy who's got that bat waggle and he's, he's cocking it at you, I mean, that guy's on – he's on go. You know, that's that's the guy you might – you know, you might want to be a little careful with that first pitch heater, but – but then there are other guys that, that you can just—I don't know—just feel they're not—they're not a swinger and they're—they're—they're going to wait it out. But um, that speaks to what Luke's saying. Is I just kind of get a sense for it as you go. We've never talked about that, by the way. No. Never, so we never have. I'm interested. How how do you? Is there? Okay, I, I like direction. Are there any other things that you look for? Because you know, as an American growing up, um, 
balance, right, for hitting is kind of a thing. And, and especially as you get older, right, you start seeing guys that are in one spot or staying linear or whatever it is. Yeah. And then not till I got to Mexico where I saw Venezuelans running out of the box, stepping in the bucket, swinging over their yeah. head, hitting balls, bouncing, right? It's a, <laughs> they play the game completely different, right? If, is there anything, any other things like that, that, that you see on, well, on hitters? Like, so, so just think about a Gary Sheffield type guy, right? So when Gary Sheffield's in the box and he's got that little bat tip, you know, and, and you literally can sense, that every time he tips that bat, he's saying, like, I dare you, I dare you, I dare you. Like, that guy, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to, that, that's a that's a free swinger in my opinion. I'm probably going to not throw strikes. Like, I'm going to see, I think this guy is going to get himself out. As opposed to the other guy who's, you know, in a, in a box, more balanced, you know, well, this guy's probably not going to swing it, swing it balls. So I'm, I'm going to come right at this guy. So that's the kind of stuff that I get a that I get a feel for. Um, I, uh, I'd also look at where the batter's standing. I do that a lot. That's like the first thing yep. I get on the when I uh, get on the mound, look in. I normally look at their feet first, see what they're doing, and then I just look at them, see if they got what uh, action they got, if they're just chill. So the first thing I always look at is their feet. How can I throw on the plate and get them uncomfortable? As you pummel fastballs inside and then finish them <laughs> off with the hammer. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what yeah. worked for me. So, no, and wow. there's nothing I'm wrong. There's, you know, I, I think to my point, Luke, I'm not trying to um, uh, make you feel bad about what it is. What I'm, I think, what I'm trying to point out is, is like I think you're good enough to actually understand what these 16 sequences are because, you know, it, I distinctly remember being in summer ball and go, I threw like 12 bangers in a row. And the entire offense got frustrated. Like, what are you doing? Like, literally mad at me in college summer ball in Kansas because I was just like, hammer, 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 hammer. Someone yells out, throw a fastball. Nope, hammer, right? And it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't like I wasn't throwing little ones. I'm trying to throw the biggest, nastiest. You can tell that I'm trying to rip from the top and make this thing snap into the zone. I'm not trying to throw balls. Right? I'm trying to throw the nastiest version of it every time. And you see you guys get just completely upset with that. And so the um, cast brings this up with musical theory all the time. And I love the ideas, how predictable, predictable music is, especially song that you really, really know. Right. And then if one note goes out of place, you immediately react to it where you're like, what's that? Like that wasn't what it is. And I see that in pitching all the time where you can see guys that go fast, fast, slow, fast, fast, slow fast, fast, slow, right? And that's kind of the high school sequence to what it is, where if you can be create more predictable and create kind of different rules, but still play within and without the rules, that, that's where I see the difficulties of pitcher being as best. Yeah, yes. I like it. It's good. Absolutely. Right. Like I said, try it on the show. It works phenomenally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then ma and then master master curveball change up. It it'll it'll just change your world. All right. Well, That's we've been going we for don't about have anything an else hour to say? fifteen. Yeah. I mean, we've been going. I know. I I guess I I just yelled at you guys for like twenty minutes right there. So <laughs> strike no, more people um, out. Well, I, I I have I have way more things that I'm curious about. Oh, go um, ahead. So, okay, so you all, I mean, Kyle, you don't get to talk right now because, so this guy is freaking posting stuff nonstop. 
Okay. And I don't, I'm curious, like what I, I've called him, like, I'm like uncle Kyle myself because I don't even know the guy. Right. So tell me a little bit more about like that whole dynamic. And I don't even know what I'm asking, but I know that you probably have some things to say about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll start on this one. Uh, for a long time, everyone in the family said that I'm more like uncle Kyle and my dad was just personality wise. Um, so I had Uncle Kyle for study hall this year, and we would go on a whiteboard in the back, and he would draw up his diagrams, and I would throw things out there. Um, so we're very similar with that aspect. You know, we both um, we think deeply about a lot of things, and then we want to share it with people. So him and I kind of have that relationship where we both think and then we share. Um, so that I mean. I love watching his videos because I'll respond and we have conversations. Um, when Luke was down in Florida for the PDP thing, we stayed together. It was just the two of us. I mean, we had those conversations, like the things you see on Instagram and Facebook every day in the car ride. Like all the time we talk about things like that. So, um, so Uncle Kyle and I are definitely similar when it comes to, to talking about that and thinking, you know, like trying to think outside the box and help yeah, so yeah. Cole is, uh, he's not one to, to brag, but he's first in his class. So he's hes a real intellectual too. Um, and he actually called Kyle this past week and challenged him on one of his green light hitting formulas. Um, mm. So in green light hitting, there's a, there's a simple V equals R omega, uh, linear velocity equals radius times your uh, angular velocity or angular acceleration. Is angular that what velocity. Angular velocity. But anyway, Cole had suggested that even though in theory that's a good principle, that he did, he disagreed with it. So I'm sitting there in the passenger seat listening to Cole and Kyle talk about the validity of V equals R omega, um, and I'm like, uh, so <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a really interesting dynamic, and and uh, I would say Luke and I are probably more free spirits, I guess. Um, uh, you know, so yeah, Kyle, I call him Socrates now. You know, it's not. He's my twin brother, but I call him Socrates. And he's cool. <laughs> you know. Dude, I hope you don't have to. You don't die. I hope you don't die like him. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I don't even know that. How did Socrates die? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they they just are like you're annoying, and we're gonna kill you um, if you don't leave town. And he's oh, like, all right, what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go think about it. And then he came back the next day, <laughs> and he's like, all right. Well, this doesn't seem like I should leave, so I'm going to stay here and still applies, them. right? Still applies. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, well, yeah. I, I, so if you're not following these guys, um, so Kyle's on Twitter saying stuff all the time. Brett saying stuff all the time, um, but Kyle's a teacher. I actually don't know Brett. I don't know how you survive. I don't know how you make a living. Oh, I'm in IT. Yeah, I, I do web development, database work. Yep, I'm, I'm a self-taught IT nerd. Yeah, so your platform is a little different than your brother's. Um, so I've just really am, been enjoying, um, I think what we've talked about on the show a lot, or at least something that I'm really interested in, just the learning process. So having Randy on yesterday, thinking about how um, I'm so interested in, you know, the young players and how they learn. Um, and, and so that's where I have really gotten to enjoy Kyle's stuff is, he's constantly challenging 
the way that we think about learning and the way that we think about development. Um, so his content is fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I can I can sit and ask you guys stuff forever because I know you have stories upon stories. Um, why don't we end with some of those? Um, just like your your. I'm gonna lead with it too because I get I I haven't ever shared the story on here. So I'm just gonna say my coolest baseball moment and then you guys can do whatever you want. So my junior year uh, was my coming out party. Um, and I'll tell you that in person some other time because the reason that I sucked and then not sucked is is for off air. But um, <laughs> we were really bad. We weren't a very good team. It was the worst team that I played on in four years and really struggled in the conference season. Uh, but we were facing, um, oh my gosh, I want to say Ben Smith, but I know that's not. It was it was Ben something um, for, and this 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 was one of the only guys in the conference that was 90 to 93. Like nobody threw 90 to 93 in 2000, you know, 2009, 2010, whatever this was. And we had kind of like a role guy who is like a DH spot right fielder kind of guy, Alex Burrish. This kid as a 10th grader was the fastest kid on skates in Minnesota. And by the time he's, this was his senior year uh, at Hamlin, he was like a healthy 250 and it was all in his legs. So we affectionately called him uh, the same thing that they call, uh, yeah, Big Sexy. We called him Big Sexy before Big Sexy was a, a thing. And um, anyway, he hit a ball at, Midway Stadium, which is where the St. Paul Saints play, which is where we played as well. And I swear it crossed the the lights. It, it passed the fence at the height of the lights. It was the biggest thing I've ever seen. The game was completely meaningless, but like the first the first time I've ever seen a ball just it you know disappear into the sky. Um, so meaningless game, biggest home run I've ever seen. Alex Burrish. I'm, Brett, I want to tell the Battle Holly story to take to close us. Can I tell the Battle Holly story? Sure. So uh, this was Wake Forest, our junior year, and uh, Brett was on everyone's radar, first round draft pick kind of guy. We played UNC Wilmington. They they had a their best player easily was Battle Holly, and uh, Brett and he have since spoken. But uh, the situation happened. I think it was the first inning, right, Brett? First, oh yeah. First inning, yeah. first inning, Battle Holly hits one off of Brent way out, and he and he pips it. I mean, he screams when he hits it, and he takes his time going around the bases. Well, Brent comes off the mound and he fires his glove off the dugout, and he says, "I'm going to break every and rib in his body the next time he comes up." And I said, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. You're going to strike him out, and then you're going to do the exact same thing he did to you. You're going to come off the mound, and you're going to scream at him. So and much Brett, better of a of a yeah. move, by the way, than hitting the yeah. guy. Oh, my yeah. God. And, and Brett goes, yeah, 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 that's what I'm doing. So uh, the next time he faces them, I think, is the fourth inning, nothing. The next time is the seventh, nothing. Well, now Brett's still in the game, and it's late. It's the ninth inning. And Battle Holly comes up in a close game with runners on second and third and first base open. And Brett's got one shot. And I remember looking over in the dugout and our head coach comes walking out and immediately Brett starts shaking his head like this. Nope, nope, nope. I'm not walking him. I'm not walking him. So I get out there to the mound and uh, our head coach casts out. Like, should I keep going? I, I get out. Are we good?
Yeah, just keep going. Just keep going. Okay. You're good. So I get out there to the mound, and uh, our head coach, George Greer, uh, he looks at me and he says, Kyle, you know we shouldn't pitch the battle. You know we should put him on. And I said, I don't know what to tell you because Brent wants to pitch to us. So I said, I'll promise I'll set up off the So I go back behind the I go back behind the home plate and I set up off the plate, like six inches off the plate, and he hits his spot for strike one. And he he goes two one, but then he 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 makes a pitch and he gets a call. So now he's two two. And we're, we're walking a very fine line between walking them and, 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 and striking them out. Well, the count's 2-2, two, two, and I set up off the plate, and Brett throws me a pitch that I have never caught since. It, it is a four-seam fastball, but it cuts hard. And as a catcher, I literally survived the event. Like, I caught it right in the middle of the plate for strike three. And I was just thankful I caught the pitch. Like, that's all that it was. Well, I looked up. And 10 feet from Battle Holly, screaming at him. And Brett, Brett was, he was mild-mannered. He was a competitor, but he was mild-mannered. Where the Wake Forest bench just cleared. Like, they came rushing out of the dugout, jumping on him. And uh, that, that's the Battle Holly story. It's a, it's a great story with, with him uh, seeking redemption literally nine innings later. And in uh, and, and, and an unconventional way, too. Not necessarily just firing off a guy's roof. Yeah, what what a great story! Uh, it's definitely I, you know, I'm I'm conflicted about it because I understand the argument of how to police the game and and you know you hit the guy and you do what you're you know you're not supposed to do that early and stuff like that and so to me it was just I, I for the sake of the game I was like no that is just not it I'm gonna embarrass yeah. this guy I'm gonna embarrass him right right um, yeah. I know we were gonna go but it's funny that same league that at the college league that i was playing in and helping our guys as we were going through i got ejected from the game because of a conversation that the other team started and i answered in the middle of my delivery right we're talking about some real college baseball stuff right somebody called me old somebody called me old in the game and granted i'm 33 playing against college guys right but i'm still low 90s so you got to hit the ball and i'm not going to take it easy on you and sure enough Lift my leg. Somebody called me old and fat, and I said, "You couldn't hit it." And I ripped a fastball, and then I got <laughs> ejected. <laughs> I, you know, so that one-on-one -on -one idea of the game is my favorite. It sounds like it's yours too, because you know it, it, it's what the game should be focused on. We've we actually talked about how I thought Major League Baseball could handle you know something special that we haven't seen. Is I know that I want to see the best matchups in every game that I watch. Right. So let's put Mike Trout and Araldis Chapman in the box and on the mound and see what happens. Let's put Scherzer. Let's put all these guys and just have these matchups that we just don't normally get to see in these live at bat situations. Because to my point and what it says, and, and it sounds like with green light hitting, hitting and pitching is, is baseball. Either you can hit yep. or you can pitch. If you can't do either one of those, you're watching. Right. That's what so, I said. I said baseball is a individual sport masquerading as a team sport. Yeah, you know? people are trying to tell me to use my defense, right? And you, and you see it all the time. You use your defense, and there's a weird foothold, and it's 105 degrees in Georgia, and the guy misses it. Oh, my God, why did I let the guy hit the ball, you know? And yeah. so the minute I change to more of a strikeout-type philosophy as quickly as I can, by the way, 
right? Like I, I'm going to strike you out in three pitches. My career went through the roof. Numbers went up, velo went up, confidence went up, you know, and, and so that's all we're trying to do over with us over here is to understand that yes, 10 year olds can throw cutters. Yes. They can under sequence, understand sequences. And yes, to your, your guy's point, you could throw light low nineties at an early age. I saw a 12 year old throw 90 miles an hour when I was in Mexico. Craziest thing I've ever seen. Right. He was like five foot nine, 125 pounds, like no muscle on him. And he was slinging. Right. And he didn't care. He was just slinging. Right. And so look at the kid now, four years later from that point, he's throwing 99 at 16 and gets to sign as a free agent and get out. Right. As, as the whole situation. So, you know, um, Velo and Velo development is is rather new in America, but the, the rest of the world's been doing it for a very, very long time. And so, you know, it, I still think it comes down to understanding really what success is as a pitcher and what a better way to quantify it than strikeouts. Like there's no other better way to I'm trying to strike out as many dudes as possible, because if I do, more than likely the team will win. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, appreciate it. Thank you so much. You guys go follow them on Twitter uh, and and Instagram on there. Cass jumped out. He sent me a message. We're just going to end it up right here, but it was great. He even said, you guys are awesome. My internet, not so much. Thanks for the awesome show. So thanks again. It was nice to meet you guys. If you guys are ever in San Diego, just let us know. Okay. All right. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. You too.